Okay, sorry about that. Now the volume is better. Right? If anyone's having trouble, let us know. I'm going to read that story again just in case you didn't hear it. A man shouted at Prabhupada during a darshan and had to be hustled out of the room. The devotees were quite unnerved unnerved, and began to speculate as to the offender's future. Would he be sent to some hellish planet? This was all being discussed in front of Prabhupada. Would he be born in a decrepit condition here on earth? How would he become free of his offense? After the discussion went back and forth among the devotees, for some time Srila Prabhupada looked up and offered. We could forgive him an option no one else had thought of. Interesting, isn't it? That no one had thought of that option. Which you would think would be the natural option to think of, at least for a devotee or someone who's practicing Krishna consciousness, but somehow or other, they were so upset that was not even an option in their mind. But it was an option in Prabhupada's mind. Okay. Another great story coming right up. There was once two saints, and they went to the bank of a river. They saw that a scorpion was in the current of that river. One of the saintly persons picked up that scorpion on his palm to save him, but the scorpion bit him and again fell into the stream. Again the saint lifted out the scorpion and again he stung. But again the saint picked him up. His friend said, Why are you doing this? Let's go. Don't try to save him. Let him die. That saint replied, If this scorpion is not giving up his nature to bite, why should I give up my nature to save him? And again he went to save him. You should be like this. If someone does something against you, don't take revenge. We should try to follow the instruction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. If you want to be able to always chant the holy name of Krishna, then follow this instruction. Obviously, Prabhupada is talking about the Trinadapi Sunichena, to be more humble than a blade of grass, that instruction from Mahaprabhu. The nature of devotees is very sweet. They don't disturb anyone. They never use harsh words when speaking to anyone. They have very sweet behavior and they speak sweet. So this is, this is so instructive. And we were discussing in earlier classes about Thakur Haridas blessing those who were trying to kill him. And we made the same point that it's the nature of a devotee to be merciful and to give blessings. So no matter what the situation, he'll always give blessings. It's not conditional. And, and you'll, you'll find in India, people will go to saintly person, and when they go to saintly person, they'll always say, Maharaj, Gurudev, please give me your blessings. Because they know that is the nature of the sadhu, to give blessings. Of course, they may not always want the kind of blessings that the sadhu gives. Generally, they want blessings to help them materially, but the sadhus may give other blessings. They may give blessings that will not help you materially, that will help you spiritually, that will detach you from material things. That's another thing. But 
The point is, the sadhu, he's always giving blessings. That's his nature. Just as an envious person, or, or we say a snake is always envious. They'll bite anyone. That's their nature, to bite. The scorpion nature is to bite. So what is the nature of the Vaishnava? Vaishnava's nature is to be compassionate. So we can think of this story sometimes when we feel like taking revenge or becoming upset. We can think of the story and think, yes, I am sadhu, at least I'm trying to be a sadhu. So I should adopt that nature. You like that story? Good story, isn't it? Now, I have another good story. And, and all these stories relate to things that we have discussed. But when they take the form of stories, they're special. And oftentimes they're more memorable in this form. And this is an Indian story, American Indian story. It's called Two Wolves. Two Wolves. One evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, My son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. Two wolves inside us all. One is evil. One wolf is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. And, by the way, I want to make a distinction. Jealousy is when you want something that another person has, and envy is when you don't want them to have it. The other side is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? In other words, the two wolves, the wolf of evil and the wolf of good. Which wolf wins? There's two wolves inside of us. The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. Nice. Which wolf are you feeding? I hope you're not feeding the evil wolf inside of you. Because you know what happens when you feed the evil wolf? The evil wolf becomes more energized. And we're going to talk about that later. About the kind of energy that we feed, that when we feed resentment, the kind of energy that produces. Okay. Now, do you like to hear more stories? All of you out there? I can hear you all saying yes. Okay, let's read another story. Feed that good wolf. Or as um, we say, we can take that to the Vedic paradigm or the Vedic analogy. Not an analogy, the Vedic fact in which Srila Prabhupada said, within the body, well, the way he explained it was, that in previous ages, the suras and the asuras, the divine, the godly people and the ungodly people, they actually lived on separate planets. There were planets of the suras, planets of the asuras. Then Srila Prabhupada said, I believe he explained it this way, then in, in the next age, they lived on the same planet but in different areas. He made this, you know, 
they, then they they came to the same planet, but they didn't associate. Some some progression like that. And then it, it gradually evolved in Kali Yuga. He said, and now the sura, the godly and the ungodly, they live in the same body. So we all know that we experience that. The two wolves, the godly wolf and the ungodly wolf. Okay, two wolves. Okay, here's another nice story. This is from a small young girl, a six-year-old girl in New Orleans. New Orleans, if you're not in America, that's in the south of America. In the south of America, there was apartheid or segregation even up till the 1960s or late 50s, early 60s. A six-year-old girl in New Orleans is the first black student to attend a mixed school after apartheid. Apartheid is segregation. So this is a story about the girl. She's the first one, first black girl who's ever gone to a school with white people. The white people were so disturbed. I mean, this is, you know, 50 years ago. There was a lot of prejudice against black people. The white people were so disturbed, not that there isn't today, but it was very intense at that time. The white people were so disturbed that a black girl was going to a school that was formerly all white that she had to be escorted by federal marshals. She had to be escorted by federal marshals. It was dangerous. They thought someone might attack her. Someone might kill her. It's a six-year-old girl. The white students boycotted the school. And there were mobs of people protesting and screaming at her every day when she went to school and when she left school. Can you imagine that? Just try to visualize that scene. There's mobs of people screaming at her as she walks into school. She's a six-year-old girl. And every day when she walks into school and every day when she leaves school, there's mobs of white people screaming at her. I mean, can you imagine what they were saying? I don't want to even try. Horrible things they were saying to her. And she would be saying something under her breath as she walked in. Nobody could hear what she was saying, but she was saying something to herself. When asked what she was saying, she said, I am praying to God to forgive them. When asked why she would do that, she said, Don't you think they need to be forgiven? <laughs> a six-year-old girl. Amazing. Amazing. She must have cultivated that in another lifetime. And she was, actually, you could see, she was feeling sorry for them. We were talking about this, and, and I read a quote about this, and I'll read you some other quotes if there's time. How, instead of feeling aggression towards someone who has hurt you, it just as easily you can feel sorry for that person that they would have to stoop to such a low position to do something against you because they themselves are hurting so much. Or they themselves are so distraught. So they themselves are so disturbed that they would act that way. And then you can feel sorry for them. You feel sympathy for them that, that they're in that situation. Amazing. Okay. Would you like to hear another story? More stories, more stories, definitely more stories. So this, 
You know, one of the, the realizations I had about this story, and I, I got this realization when I was reading Radhanath Swami's book. If you haven't read the book, I definitely recommend getting it. Can they get it here at Krishna.com, Uddhava? Yes, you can get it. And what's it called? My Journey Home? I think I believe it's called My Journey Home by Radhanath Swami. So, in reading Radhanath Swami's book, one of the things that came up was that he had taken a vow in the course of his traveling from America to India and his experience. He had taken a vow at one point not to eat meat. Then he had taken a vow at another point not to take any drugs. And then he had taken a vow at another point to be celibate. This was all done before he was a devotee and this was all done without any connection with India and Indian philosophy and the connection of why he should do that. It was just realizations based on experience. So that and other things that he was realizing and then I was thinking, yes, of course, when you cultivate spiritual advancement in one life, then there's so many things you already know without reading them because they come with you from one life to another. So otherwise, how would a six-year-old girl have this realization unless she cultivated that? And and it's nice to understand that because just like Krishna says, there's no loss. Whatever spiritual advancement you make, you keep. So it's in within our consciousness when we develop this nature to be forgiving, when we develop a compassionate nature, Yes, the book is called, excuse me, The Journey Home, Autobiography of an American Swami. It's on Krishna.com. You can find it there. We're looking at it right now. So, when we cultivate these qualities, we're talking here about cultivating forgiveness, but we've also been talking about how it's necessary to cultivate humility, sympathy, compassion, because these are all foundational to the development of forgiveness. And then if we do that, and we don't become completely Krishna conscious in this life, that will carry over in our next life. And we'll have, we've already understood what it means to be humble, compassionate. These, these things will just come to us. We'll, we'll realize, we'll have deep realizations about these things, even without reading, even without a teacher. It'll just come through life's experience because we already have it in our consciousness. So it's a nice meditation in thinking, whatever I'm developing now in my consciousness will remain. And that, okay, I have so many years to live in this life, and that is my window of opportunity to purify my consciousness, to develop saintly qualities, to to come closer to Krishna. And all that will remain if I don't become perfect. It's not that we should think, well, automatically... If I start out in my next life better, that solves the whole problem. No, we're still going to deal with what the problems, the attachments, unwanted desires, and so forth. We're going to deal with that from the past. So let's read another story. I haven't even read this story. I, perhaps I read it years ago, so I don't. I didn't read it before the class. So I'm reading it really for the first time in years, and I don't even know what it is. So let's find out what it is. On March 23, 1995, my 17-year-old daughter, Nicole, opened the door of her father's house to a 16-year-old young man named LaVon, whom she knew. 
Lavon came into the house and they began to argue over drugs. Lavon picked up the butcher knife from the kitchen counter and stabbed Nicole to death. My only child lay dying on the floor of the living room, her eyes still open. The last sight she saw that day was the face of the young man who was killing her. This young man, who I had never met in my life, came into my life that day and changed my life forever. I waited one year to be faced with the young man who had changed my life forever. He was hostile and angry during the trial. My greatest fear was that he would get the death penalty and that I would then have to fight to never allow that to happen. But God knew that wasn't how he wanted me to spend my time. Levon was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to 38 years with no probation. God had other plans for my life. Levon still looked angry when he was sentenced two weeks later. Only now he was sitting right next to me as I stood at the podium to, to address the court and the judge, but I was warned not to address Levon. I was told I couldn't speak to this person who had changed my life forever, and he was sitting right next to me. I began reading what I had written, and then God spoke to my heart. I needed to talk to this young man. It might be my only opportunity. I turned and looked into his face. This was the face that my daughter saw as she lay dying on the living room floor just one year ago. And now I was looking into that same face. I told Levon I was not angry. I told Levon I was not angry with him, but that I felt very hurt. I told him that I had compassion for him and that I hoped that he could somehow find a way to turn his life around. And lastly, I told him that I would be praying for him. The face that was so full of anger was now looking at me in disbelief, and the anger was gone. When I walked away from the courthouse that day, I knew that God had given both of us a gift. It was the gift of forgiveness. I was able to forgive the young man who murdered my daughter, not because he asked me to, but because it was what God, because it was what God wanted for both of us. God was never going to be able to use me if I was angry. Forgiveness brings peace, and with that peace comes, comes overwhelming joy. The joy of knowing that God will forgive me just as I have forgiven. Incredible story, almost unbelievable that a person could forgive someone who killed his daughter, but to speak of killing his daughter in front of him. So, it's a wonderful story. So now, uh, taking off in that story, I want to read something to you. I think it's appropriate that the story illustrates something, some, something that could have happened to this man if he didn't forgive. And this is written by a friend of mine named Archana City, who is a therapist, and we are 
in the process of developing a course on forgiveness that's going to be given online, perhaps a one or two month course online. And she sent me something she had written. I want to read this to you because it it, it really struck me as something powerful. Resentment keeps us emotionally rooted in the past. We have a limited supply of energy at our disposal. We have so many units of energy to expend on our physical, mental, and spiritual health and growth. Keeping resentment alive requires a large output of energy, which drains us of the resources for a healthy, progressive life. Let me read that again. This is really the key here. Keeping resentment alive requires a large output of energy, which drains us of the resources for a healthy, progressive life. It is similar to allocating money to take care of our current and future needs. If we are paying off a large debt from the past, we may not have enough money left to meet our immediate needs, what to speak of our future requirements. Closing the resentment account will free up a lot of needed energy that we can then use to go forward in our lives. So this is a very important point. The two points she's making is that resentment, because it's something that has happened in the past, it's connecting us to a past experience and it's kind of like a, a chain or an anchor to a past experience. And that past experience is still affecting us at the present time. And the way she's saying it's affecting us is that it is pulling energy out of us. So that's leaving less energy to deal with other aspects of our life because we have only have so much energy. And any one of you will can experience if you let go of resentment, you will experience this this release of of this energy that was draining you and immediately feel much freer and lighter and energetic and more positive, more enthusiastic. That that is my personal experience and that is the experience I have in seeing others when they give up their resentment. So um, another example is is given that if you have something that floats and you want to hold it down, she gives this example also that, that sometimes we are not acknowledging the resentment, we're not dealing with it, or we're, we're running away from it, or we're ignoring it, and, and unconsciously we're kind of keeping it buried, and it takes energy to keep it buried. And, and my experience is that anytime an individual has a problem, that they're not solving. I don't want to say any time, but generally when a person has a problem they're not solving, it's because they're afraid to deal with it for whatever reason. They can't deal with it. It's just it's so distasteful to deal with or it's so difficult to deal with. They just want to avoid it. Or as we say, um, denial. Denying the reality of the situation that this is really that this is really there. I don't want to think about it. It's it's so difficult for me to think about it. It's so difficult. I don't even know how to deal with it. I don't even know where to start. And so we just want to run away from it. And so a lot of times we'll bury the resentment because we don't want to deal with it. But it's taking energy to keep it in there. And and, and 
I think it is probably one of the worst things that we can ever do is have a problem that we're running away from because it's never solved that way instead of facing it directly and, and acknowledging this is a problem, acknowledging this is how I feel, and then dealing with it. A lot of times we're, we're afraid to acknowledge how we feel, that we really are upset, we really are angry. And um, by not acknowledging it, we, don't, we can't deal with it. Now, she mentions another thing which relates to this. And then that what's, what's going on inside of us when we have issues of anger or resentment. And she's making the point that the anger and the resentment is not the real problem. There's something that's caused it. It's only a symptom. It's a secondary, what we would say is a secondary emotion. There's something that triggered it. So listen to this. I'll answer your question. April, I'll answer your question in a minute. Anger often, <coughs> excuse me, Anger often masks sadness, disappointment, and hurt. It becomes like a protective armor, shielding us from having to face more painful feelings. Let me read that again. It becomes like a protective armor, shielding us from having to face more painful feelings. In other words, I'm angry, but there's something I'm not facing could be disappointment, sadness. I was let down by somebody. I was hurt by somebody. And to protect myself because I'm not facing it, I just become angry or resentful. So I'm not really dealing with the issue. I'm avoiding the issue. And the anger is supposed to protect me, be like some kind of bomb or some, something to numb that pain. And I'm not acknowledging the pain. Anger can become an addictive emotional response similar to a drug or alcohol. Wow! Anger can become an addictive emotional response similar to a drug or alcohol. Anger as a drug, very interesting concept. Something that is numbing the pain. I'm feeling that I'm not acknowledging what that pain is. When we cut ourselves off from feeling uncomfortable and hurtful feelings, we also cut ourselves off from the emotional growth that comes with having to cope with sadness and disappointment. So she's making the same point. Acknowledge, if you're hurt, acknowledge it and then deal with it. A lot of us are afraid to acknowledge feelings and because we think, well, I shouldn't feel that way and I'm a bad person if I feel that way. But the reality is we do feel that way. And if we acknowledge the feeling and deal with it, then we can move beyond that. We can process it and, and understand it better. So when we see anger and resentment, then the light should go off and say, no, there's something else. Something else happened. I'm not just angry. I've been hurt. I've been let down. I've been disappointed. I'm, I'm sad. I've been saddened by someone. And I, I have to deal with that. So now I'm going to go to April's question. April says, if you release an issue, how do you handle it if it creeps back up? Well, first, there are certain strategies that you can employ 
or, or certain symptoms of of understanding that you haven't forgiven somebody. And, and one of the primary symptoms of not having forgiven someone is that you still are going over the story in your mind or you're st you still are going over the story by telling it to other people. So if you see that that tendency is there to go over it in your mind or to tell someone about it, then, then catch yourself if you can and don't, don't talk about it. Because if you want to forgive, at the point you want to forgive or let it go, letting it go means let the story go. Now, part of the problem of it creeping back in is you have the same story. You haven't seen it from a, a different point of view. Generally, we can't give up resentment because we're in the victim mode, the victim mentality. I was hurt. They did this to me. It's not fair. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm the innocent victim. As long as you remain in the victim consciousness that I'm not to blame, I didn't do anything wrong, it's all their fault. As long as you're in that consciousness, there's every chance that it's going to creep back up because you have the same story, the victim story. And you haven't let the victim story go. So how do you let the victim story go? Well, one way you let the victim story go, as we said previously, is tell the story from their point of view. So how do you do that? Well, one of the things you do is you try to understand the principle that when someone does something, they are attempting to fulfill their needs. They're doing it to fulfill a need they have. Whether they're conscious of that need or they're un not conscious of it, they're doing it to fulfill their needs. So th then you would have to think, what need was this person trying to fulfill by acting the way they did towards me? And then, so you enter, enter their world and understand they had a need the need may be perverted. I'll give you an example. There was a boy who was found and arrested for sexually abusing children. And when they investigated the case, the one thing they found was that he was very nice to the children. He really liked them. So how, why was he abusing them if he liked them? It was a very strange situation. He would bring them to his home, and he would take care of them, he'd feed them, they'd play games, they'd have a great time. He really liked kids, and he liked being with the kids. And then he would sexually abuse them, molest them. And they asked him why, and he said, because when I was young, I was sexually abused, and nobody, is, nobody can feel my pain, and I need people to feel my pain. And by abusing these children, they'll be able to relate to me and feel my pain. Say, oh my God, what is wrong with this kid? But somehow or other, you have to enter his world to understand that his need, he had the need to be heard. He had the need to be related to. And the way he did that was molesting children. So somehow or other, you have to try to understand what needs this person was trying to fulfill. Fulfill. Now there's another thing we talked about, and that's conditioning. You, you try to understand as best you can how this person was raised, what kind of life they had. You know, sometimes you'll find people 
whose parents, one or both parents were alcoholics or they were only raised by one parent and the parent was working and they were never around and the parent couldn't deal with it and they were always being yelled at or being told that they're useless. You know, I mean, you don't, you may not know the whole story behind this person who hurt you. So you imagine yourself being in that situation and and living the life this person lived and having the experiences this person had. You try to, as much as possible, see from their point of view and see if you can tell another story. Well, I did this because I was abused or I was hurt. I was going through a difficult time and I didn't understand, misunderstood your intention, I made the wrong assumption, and, and or I was, I was put in a situation which was too difficult for me, for me to handle. I was doing the best I could. I didn't realize how difficult it would be. I never thought I would stoop to this. I was at a low point in my life, etc., etc. So, so if you can understand that, and then your story starts to change. Well, it's not just about you being a, a victim, but it's about this person who's hurting, who's having trouble. And then maybe you come to a point where you're more compassionate towards that person and you alter your victim consciousness. Another another way of dealing with victim consciousness is, is you tell the... St- Usually when we tell our story about our hurt, our anger, our resentment, we're, we're telling it from the victim mode, that I was in the situation, I was perfectly innocent, just just behaving myself, not doing anything wrong, and then this person came along and did this stupid thing and totally let me down, and now I have this anger. Try telling your story by taking responsibility for what happened, rather than taking the victim role. For example, you say, this person came into... I'll give you an example, this is a real-life example, that I was told by a woman she told her victim's story. Her victim's story was, was her actu- actually her husband had run off. They had a dual bank account. He had run off with the money and left her and sold the house. You know, some, some scenario like that. So she was telling me the story, you know, the victim's story. You know, I was, I had trusted him. I had done this. I had done that. I had been a good wife. And then he had turned against me taken the money, it was our joint account, our life savings, now I have nothing, um, we sold our home to pay off debt, he took the savings, I'm stranded, etc., etc. So then we said, so now what we'd like you to do is tell that story, but don't tell it as a victim, tell the story from another perspective. And the perspective we want you to tell it is, that you take total responsibility for what happened. So at first, this is hard. I mean, how can I take responsibility? He did that. But, but this was how she was asked to see it. So then what she did, she said, well, I should have, uh, I, know, I know what my husband is like, and it was stupid of me to have a joint account. I shouldn't have done this. This was my money, which I earned. Then I've been married that long. Uh, so... You know, when, you, when you're married, they were married, they were older, and they'd been married before. So, you know, people may want to keep their own money. So, you know, so she took responsibility. that I had trusted him. I, I should have seen that he was not trustworthy with money. I should have anticipated this possibly could have happened. But I made that decision to do that. And then, so she went through the scenario. I think she even went as far as that 
that I shouldn't have married him. I should have understood that he has this nature and it was my foolishness to be involved with him. I don't know if they were married or they were just living together. But So you can see, when the story's changed, then, then everything looks different. And then the idea of forgiving, it, if the, the resentment creeping back, it's a different it's a different ball game now because you have a different story and the story is no I shouldn't have done that it was my fault so where's the resentment for this person there's no resentment for this person there's just a learning experience for me you see okay now that was a lesson in psychology I didn't quote any verses some people are going to be listening to this and say he didn't quote any verses he's bogus and sometimes I even think that myself. But some of these things are, are necess I believe are necessary to understand, at least for some of us in certain situations. Okay. So yeah, one of the things I wrote Dr. Greg about forgetting is there's a saying, forgive and don't forget. Don't forget that you've forgiven. There's, I'll have to go um, next week. Uh, I believe I have a list of, of a checklist to know how you're forgiven. Actually, I don't. I, I, it's not that I believe. I do have this in my seminars. I give this out. It's a checklist of so many things you can look at, and um, I'll see if I can make that available on my website. It'll be very helpful for you. And and what it does is, it it takes you through all the steps we go through in our seminar to help people forgive all the things they have to do and then it serves as a checklist so that you can go back and see okay I thought I forgive I had forgiven but now I see it creeping back up and then you can go back and look at the checklist and the idea is that either you should have you should go through each item on the checklist and either I forget how it works either be doing it or not be doing it and that would mean you've you've fully forgiven so I think this would be very good for you so let's go to Let's go to Bakhtin Carol. My ex-husband injured me and left me to die in August. Wow. Very heavy. August 2002, I was hospitalized for four months. It took another year to learn to walk again. During this time, I also suffered a stroke from blood clots. Once I understood what had happened, surgeons talked with me for two days. I forgave the ex-husband immediately. It was just my actual response. Bhakti Carol, you're amazing. I was able for the first time to walk on my own to the Dallas Temple in August 2004. I took this man to the temple for Archie. He smelled the flower and had prasadam. In 2006, he was in prison for another reason, and I sent him photos of the devotees and deities, which he showed to many other inmates who were eager to see my mail eager to see any male, even if not their own. So the ex-husband, who had previously had no contact with devotees, ended up introducing Krishna's name and image to others. He ended up preaching to others. What a wonderful story. Bhakti Carol, can you send me that story? I mean, you send it to me if you would allow me to use that in, in the future in some seminars. M-A-H-A-T, um, Mahat, at AOL.com, if you don't mind. That's a wonderful story. You are a real saint. Hare Krishna. Arati is asking, what to, uh, to think about pregnancy and birth control among teenagers? 
Well, that is a whole other topic. So why don't you send me an email and we'll discuss that on email. Dr. Greg, give yourself credit. You're as good as my psychologist. You want to hear something amazing? I am not a psychologist, but maybe I was a psychologist in my last life. I don't know. And I was helping a girl who came to a program in New York. She had serious, serious problems. And I, you know, I had read books on psychology and self-help and so forth. So I was helping her dealing with some of her problems. We had done a forgiveness, a two-hour introductory forgiveness seminar. And so, at the end, she said the same thing. You know, She said, in this half hour, I got more help from you than my psychologist. So maybe I should be a psychologist. Maybe I should be charging you all right now to listen to me. Hare Krishna. You are so fortunate you don't have to pay. You can get this all free. That's all Krishna's mercy. So, um, website is tstrain.com ts www.tstrain t-r-a-i-n.com and I placed an article up there I mentioned last week an article entitled My Resentment if you go to my website and go to articles not newsletters but articles and you scroll down to the bottom the last article is entitled My Resentment uh, we read from that last week and I highly recommend that article. It's helped a lot of devotees. And so what I'm saying is, next week I'm going to put this, how do you know you're forgiven? And it just it just goes through all the principles. And, and, and perhaps what we'll do on next week's show is we'll go through the principles on this chart. And, and it's really, well, it's really very powerful. I mean, I, I worked, I spent a lot of time developing the seminar. So there's so many things I haven't given you yet. And this is one thing I think I should give you. It will be very helpful. So, um, okay. So now, I want to do something which I think it will really help you a lot. And we do this in our seminars. And I'm going to need your participation here. So, everybody, please get ready to participate. We're going to need some feedback from you and from all of you, as much as you want to give. One of the things that we understand is that whenever we do something, we do it to avoid pain or to gain pleasure or both. If you can do both at the same time, you're doing double duty there. So at least we do, we'll do something to avoid pain. If it's not for pleasure, then, you know, oh, there's a snake. Run the other way. I want to avoid the pain. So, we do things for a reason. There's what we call a payoff. I did this. Why did I do this? Because I wanted to get something or I wanted to avoid something. So now, what we want to do is we want to look at the payoffs. What do we get by holding on to resentment? Because... We have to be getting something. If we're not getting something, why are we doing it? We don't, we're not doing it just because it's fun to, to harass people or it's fun to torment ourselves by holding on to a grudge or being angry all the time or telling everybody what a victim we are. That's not fun. So we do it for a reason. So 
it can be either something you personally experience, where you're holding on to a grudge, you're holding on to resentment, and you're reflecting why, or it can be something that you intuitively understand why people would do it, or it could be something that you've seen in other people. So, I would like you to just, on chat, just write down some anything that comes to mind of why you or why you think other people would hold on to resentment. What's the payoff? What are they getting from it? And I'm going to start. I'll start here. And I've got here a copy from one of my seminars of what the participants said. So I'm going to read one. One of the reasons is we can... Thank you, Madan Mohan. I rock. I also have a guitar. I rock on that as well. And uh, anyway, new CD is in going to come out soon. We're working on it. One more song left. Okay, so, excuses. You know, what's the payoff? One payoff, this was presented by the participants in the course. One payoff is, I can blame others for my karma. In other words, I don't have to take responsibility that I'm deserving this. Just, well, you know, I can blame. It's his fault. He did it. Nothing to do with me. I can blame others for my karma. Okay, um, Samsara 78. Does that mean you've... All right, we won't try to understand what your name means. Samsara 78. They hold on to resentment because they don't know any, another way. That is true, but we're looking... You could say, okay, let's say it's a comfort zone. It's like we could say, okay, that makes sense. Um, feels comfortable. It's like being in pain is kind of a comfort zone. It, for some, some for some reason there there's probably could be many reasons maybe it is our society that does not teach such knowledge it's not a conversation that i've had with my family or friends that is true and, and i think that also relates to our condi- you know, we're talking here cultural conditioning and it may be um yeah, it's also, it's unnatural for us to forgive. We haven't learned. We feel uncomfortable forgiving. We don't know how to do it. Uh, telling, okay, Bhakti Jeff says, telling others about my resentment towards another feels good somehow. And I think it's because the resentment is burning me and letting that steam out helps, though the fire doesn't dissolve. Well, both things are true because telling others about your resentment can work therapeutically to let it go, but it can also work as a weapon to get back at the person. So so the payoff can be either one, that, that we're holding on to it and telling people because we actually want to let it go, we want to process it, and that's why we're telling people. Or we're telling people because we want to put that person in a bad light. And so by telling other people, we think we're making, uh, we're going to be hurting that person by letting other people know how bad that person is. So it can go either way. Um, Madame Mohan says, I think it is because people don't know how to make up or move on. They lack of communication. It's too difficult to, to confront the person. Um, holding on to something, it, it, it's easier to hold on to it. It feels more comfortable to hold on to it. So I'll just, you know, there, there's, some, there's some kind of perverted form of security and comfort in holding on to it. It's like, you know, it, it's kind of... or. I think for some people, it kind of, you know, you, it, some people are very aggressive and hateful, and it, it kind of becomes, 
it would become awkward for them to give it up because their personality is such that those are those are the kind of things that create their self-image, the hate, the resentment, the envy. That's like they may identify with that, and so they want to hold on to that. Um, Dr. Greg says, I hold on to resentment because the person who hurt me was a very integral part of my life who had vowed never to leave my life. So you hold on to it because that person disappointed you, and you're feeling the disappointment, the sadness they created in your life, and that's producing, and that and that it's it's hard to come to grips with. You, you know the saying. There's a saying. It's much easier. I think we read this. It's much easier to forgive someone you don't know well than someone you do know well. So, um, when a person's close to us and they hurt us, it hurts worse because someone we don't know may hurt us and say, "Well, you know, that's." People hurt you. That's the way the world is. But someone who's close to you, they're not supposed to hurt you. So um, you may be holding on to it because you feel the need to feel the pain because it was such a, a person who was so close to you. And that pain and somehow is, is giving you some kind of... It's giving you some kind of solace. That's a secondary emotion. Now, if you go further emotionally, you'll find under the pain... There's another stage where you can go further if you can get through the pain to begin to get to that next stage where you begin to understand why they did it and have some appreciation or sympathy for why they did it. Madame Mohan, understanding other people's perspective requires a different level of energy and skill set. Getting angry and holding resentment is much easier. Lots of times it's also an acquired skill from your parents, relatives, or friends. Yeah, it's like what's what uh, what's coming up again is the comfort zone. It's like it's like well, this is this is what's comf- getting angry for me is comfortable. This is what I know. I know how to do it. I've done it all my life. I learned it from my parents. I learned it from my culture. This is how I react. I just scream and have a temper tantrum, and you know, feel it kind of feels okay, or that's you know, that's the only way I know how to do it. So again, it's like the payoff is. I don't have to do anything about it. It's just, I feel comfortable. Okay. Um, what else? So, Bhakti Greg says, I'm a guitar man too. The blues. Oh. <laughs> so, Bhakti Greg, can you write us a blues song um, about your resentment? But with a happy ending? <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah, let's have a happy blues song. So, Samsara, my mother left and my father blamed me. I, I feel you, Greg, yeah. Um, these things are, you know, the, in, in the age we're living in, things are happening to us that really shouldn't have to happen. And it it's going to require tremendous amounts of strength on our part to be able to overcome the forgiveness. But But one of the things that we find is that people who have gone through these difficult situations where they've been neglected by parents or relatives or have had alcoholic parents or whatever, some of those people become the strongest, most, most psychologically healthy people in the world because they had so much to go through to become strong that they became very strong people. And, and now they're in a position to help other people go through difficulties. 
because of what they went through. So, so it's always important to never take the victim role well, where we feel disempowered, that we can't do anything. But it's always um, the empowered position is, okay, let, I was dealt with this deck of cards, so let me deal with it. Let me make the best use of it. Let me see how I can move on. And, and as we said in the beginning, if we hold on to resentment, it, it anchors us to, a, to an experience, a negative experience, and then it's pulling back at us, and then we, we can't go forward. And when we did one of our seminars, we asked the devotees to visualize what their resentment looks like, and then one of the devotees came to the front and acted it out, and she acted out a sprinter. The market set go, but her foot was chained and she couldn't run. So I think it's a good analogy that you know we want to move forward in our life, but we're chained by a past experience. So it requires a lot of strength. And if you look at the process of Krishna consciousness and what Krishna consciousness teaches you as something that nourishes or fosters the ability to open our hearts, to be more compassionate, more loving, more caring, then you can use the inspiration you get to develop those qualities to be able to release the resentment. And, and, and then use that release as a totally spiritual, as a kind of spiritual sadhana to release that. And, and, and take it as Krishna is doing this to me so that I will become stronger, so that I will learn how to overcome this particular obstacle. And then, you can, then it can be a very positive thing. And if you take it as a positive thing, it's less likely that resentment's going to come back because now you'll see it as something that's that's helping you become a more forgiving person. That's helping you become a more compassionate person. So you could say, without the difficulty I went through, I may not have learned how to be as compassionate as I am today, or as, as sympathetic. I may not have learned to see things from other people's points of view. But because of the difficulty I went through, I was forced to do it if I was going to overcome the resentment I had. And then I can appreciate that there was so much benefit in that. And so it becomes a very positive thing. And then you can have, you can kind of change your your past experience. Now it looks it looks more positive. And, and you can be happy. Say, yeah, that was a good thing. I don't want, I wouldn't wish anyone would go through it and I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I can see how much it helped me. So that's a positive thing. Okay. Madame Mahan, it also shifts the blame on the other person. You might have been wrong, but by resentment, you justify your own wrong behavior. Kind of like the story you told. So, we all have a need to be right. Right? So, if you, if you justify wrong behavior, then you can, you can fulfill your need to be right. The need to be right is very strong. It's amazing how strong it is. It, it's so strong that if you take two, two people and you put them together and you say... I would like you to argue with one another. And all I would like you to say is, I'm right. And the other person will say, no, I'm right. And then you just argue back, no, I'm right. I'm right. No, I'm right. I'm right. And I've done this exercise in my seminars. And what you'll see is, people really get into it. They really get into arguing about being right. But they're not talking about anything to be right about. They were just told to say, I'm right. And... It connects to the emotional need to be right, and they really get into it. And they can really feel how strong the desire is to be right. And then you can see that a lot of times people are arguing about something, and it's not even a question of making a point about the particular thing they're talking about. It's just a question, I have to be right. 
Very interesting, isn't it? Blame the other person. I can be right. You know, it's the whole blaming. Blaming the other person is victim consciousness. No, take responsibility for the situation. So, um, samsara is saying I've become very strong due to suffering. Yeah, suffering is, you know, a lot of times, if you don't suffer or if life's too easy, then when things get difficult, you can't deal with it. But when you go through difficulties, you just you become very resilient. And you kind of can handle everything. You say, well, I've been through this. It's like everything else is downhill from there. And, and so, you know, Krishna might see that we need, we need that, that we have a certain weakness. So he'll put us in a situation to give us, to help us become stronger. And then we, when we go through that situation, we can become teachers and we can help other people who are going through that situation. Because ultimately all teachers teach through experience. And, and whatever you study, read in a book, you're reading other people's experience. And, and if you have your own experience, you become a great teacher. I, I went to a, a, a seminar which was training us how to do seminars. And one of the things they did was they asked everyone to look at what they want to teach. And one of the, the ways they taught us was have you any life experience gone through a difficulty from a, from a weak situation to a strong situation because if you have you're in a position to help others who are in who are in the situation you were in to get to the situation you're in now you know if you were <laughs> there is a commercial I don't know if you ever saw this I saw, years ago I saw this commercial and it's this guy who is, is trading in the stock market and it shows he has this program and he has three or four computer screens and he's looking at, at all the computers and he developed this formula. He was just really smart. He figured the whole market out and he saw how everything was moving. And he trains people how to do it and it, and it shows his history and, and he says, you know, they showed him in Central Park and they, they videoed in on the bench. He goes, this is the bench I used to sleep on. I lived in the park. I had nothing. And he said, one day this you know, idea dawned on me about how to deal with the stock market. And he actually did it and he became extremely wealthy. So, you know, life, life is like that. You, you may be downtrodden and you, you figure out how to get back on your feet. And then you can help other people. So, um, turning poison into medicine. Yes, that's good. Forget the blues tune tonight. Yeah. Maybe Bhakti Regu won't be singing the blues after this course. You'll be singing the happies. Um, Artie says, some people will see it as a cop-out. Yes. So April has to leave us. Okay, um, Madame Hans uh, saying, just curious, what seminars are you referring to and how come we have Japa Meditation in San Jose? So the seminar I'm referring to is called Living a Life of Total Forgiveness and I developed it as a seven-hour seminar and now I'm working on it to develop it as an entire weekend seminar because I realized how much purification we can do when we focus on forgiveness, how so many things are connected with it. It's such an interesting phenomenon because of what it takes to forgive and how it gives, it's a gateway to introspect in other areas of our Krishna consciousness. So as far as wanting this seminar, if you want the seminar, you can, you, we can bring it to wherever you are. If there's enough people interested in, then I'm happy to do it. I love to do it. It's so much fun. 
and not as fun is not the wrong word. Of course, I love doing it. It's fun for me. May not be fun for you until you forgive. I may put you through hell until you forgive. But no, it's not that bad. Um, how can we have Japa meditation in San Jose? That also uh, you can discuss, and then um, you can. I think you already had a few there. And uh, our next Japa course is in Houston. That starts the middle of June. Chapa retreat if you want to come there. Otherwise, you know, you can discuss with us in your temple and we can discuss coming out there. Another course I did was a course on prayer. And I want to tell you something. <coughs> very, very interesting thing happened. When I do my course on forgiveness, I designed it to go through stages because I see there are necessary stages one has to go through to be able to forgive. So the course is, you know, it builds upon itself. One step, it's like a step to the next step to the next step. If I if I went immediately to the tenth step, people wouldn't be able to forgive. But if I go to the first step, the second, third, fourth, fifth, by the time we get sixth or seventh, it's just very easy to let it go. So I did the seminar once, but the day before the seminar, I did a seminar on prayer. And the whole mood of the prayer was opening our heart to Krishna as someone who's praying for pure bhakti, not praying for anything material and really developing that paradigm of allowing Krishna to use us and being open to Krishna, opening our heart. So a very interesting thing happened during that seminar. The devotees opened their hearts so much that when we started the forgiveness seminar, within about the first hour, an hour and a half, everybody just let their issue go because their heart had become so open and softened from spending the whole previous day in prayer in focusing on the essence of prayer, what prayer is, and offering prayers, creating prayers, and bringing the prayer mood into our japa. So you can see that forgiveness is really, it's really a heart, it's really the heart chakra. It's the world of the heart, of opening up the heart, softening the heart. And that's why it's such a valuable exercise or seminar, because it's so purifying. It, you know, the Krishna consciousness means to have a soft heart. The Nectar Devotion says, have a heart like gold. It just easily melts. So, um, Madame Mahan, you can email me, or you can, why don't you email me, and then I'll give you my phone number, and we can talk. So that's M-A-H-A-T at AOL.com. So, Nebraska, we can come to Nebraska. We can go anywhere. We're ready to go. Um, but of course, you you know you, we have to arrange, you know, arrange where there are people. We can do this uh, seminar to non-devotees. It's very powerful. I've done it with non-devotees, and it, it just brings in the whole concept of karma and karma as the teacher of what you learn, and it explains to people. You know, people have such a difficult idea with the whole concept of evil. Why, if there's a god, why is there evil? When you explain karma as teacher, and they go into their own life and look at all the things they learn through suffering, it becomes very clear that that's God's instrument and it's God's mercy and it, and it really helps them. And then it can help them enter into the world of forgiveness. And if they enter into the world of forgiveness, they're softening or opening up their heart. And, and we're taking them into the more of the, you know, satvagoon or the, the border of the transcendental world. So anyway, let's talk... M-A-H-A-T at AOL.com.
and it is now 9.10. Yes, it's a universal topic, which is one of the reasons I chose to teach it, because I felt it was it was such a great gateway to Krishna consciousness for non-devotees, and such a necessity for devotees, because I saw so many devotees were holding on to issues of resentment, and and despite their advancement in Krishna consciousness, many could not let it go. And and you know, for certain personality types or certain people with certain karma, it's much more difficult to let resentment go. Other people saw that story of Carol. You know, I mean, who could imagine letting that go? And she said immediately she let it go. Certain people are like that. Other people, it's very difficult, and so they have to work m much harder on it. So, but still, it's a wonder. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, thank you, Doctor Greg. <laughs> He's flattering me now. He's 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 making me think each week I have to come to this standard. All right. We will come to the standard. We will surpass the standard of this week. Next week, we'll surpass your expectations. If you'd like to um, do the live course, the live course is just it's just so wonderful to be in the association of devotees and for a weekend doing this kind of work is fantastic. Or if you have the shakti to organize such a thing in your community amongst non-devotees and rent a hall and get them to pay or pay a little or make donation, then we can do it with devotees and non-devotees. And, and you know what the wonderful thing about doing it with devotees and non-devotees is? That in this seminar, we partner up with another individual and we share a lot with that person. So when there are non-devotees mixed with devotees, the non-devotees get to hear the realizations of the devotees, and the realizations of the devotees are often quite deep. And it really, I've done this before, and I didn't realize it was going to happen, but I saw it happening. I could see the devotees were having this incredible effect on the non-devotees when the non-devotees would hear their realizations. Because devotees are they're practicing Krishna consciousness in such a way that is quite unusual for the average non-devotee. So they, you know, the devotee's saying, "I'm trying to be more humble, but I see my ego getting in the way, and I see how sometimes I'm not as self-disciplined with my mind as I should be, and I have negative thoughts, and I have bad thoughts about people." And you know, the people are hearing this and they're thinking, "This is natural. Everybody's like that," and they're looking at you and they're saying, "God, this this person's finding one blemish on a white sheet, and and they're feeling bad about it. Oh my God!" And then they start be becoming purified by hearing about it. So if and you are interested in arranging something with devotees, non-devotees together, that's very, very powerful. And, and a great way for people to, to meet devotees and befriend them in a neutral atmosphere that is not a program dedicated or they're coming to that's meant to preach to them or down to them on an absolute platform. But it's a discovery program where they'll discover issues about themselves and will relate it to Krishna consciousness. Um... I want to have Shakti. Help me. Okay. I'll help you get Shakti. Write on a piece of paper, Madame Mahan, write on a piece of paper how to get Shakti. That's the question, how to get Shakti. And I want you to write down 20 ways you can get Shakti. 20 ways you think you can find some Shakti. And see what Krishna reveals as the super soul, how you can get that Shakti, what you can do. There are, poss there are always possibilities that we haven't thought of. And this is one excellent way of coming up with the possibilities. So I'm sorry, there's a Hindu temple here. I bet people would come to hear you speak. There are many venues. Yeah. 
If you can arrange it, talk to some people, the powers that be, and let's discuss it. And I'd love to go. This is, this is very, very... I've done this seminar about seven times. It's, it's amazingly powerful. It's, people get so much out of it. And it's such a nice way to give Krishna consciousness because they're getting it dealing with an issue that's personal. So it's not theoretical at all. Everything that they're learning is relating to dealing with the issue. It's a different way of teaching. And it's so powerful. So thank you. Yes, my email, mahat at aol.com. Yes. And um, we're going to put this class tonight on... Uh, uh, actually, excuse me, and I, what you may want to do, if you want to interest people in coming to the course, then let them hear one of these classes. If, if, you, if you thought this class was nice, if you thought this class was special, this will be forgiveness class number eight. We're going to put it on right after the show. Let them hear it. Give them a taste. It may inspire them to become interested. So, yeah, I, I like what I heard. This is very interesting. There's something I could use. So that's a way. That's a, a positive way. Or you can direct them to the website. Or I believe you can download those. Can they download? Yeah. So you can download any of those. Feel free to share them. And then within a month or two, I'll have my own website up, and I'll have all this information on there. And then, if you go to my website, tstrain.com, if you go to newsletters, then you'll find an article that I wrote, a newsletter I wrote, called Living a Life of Total Forgiveness. That's under newsletters, tstrain.com under newsletters. And as I mentioned, if you go to articles, you'll find the article entitled My Resentment. And you can direct people there and then uh, or you can download it yourself and you can have them read that and that that can also enthuse them say yeah this is something i'd be interested in so thank you very much we will see you next week we'll even have a better class next week and i'm very happy you've all come tell your friends uh, spread the word pass it around listen to the other classes and we'll see you again thank you hari krishna Welcome back to another session of Living a Life of Total Forgiveness. In this session, we're going to make you work. Oh, no. You don't want to work, do you? Well, requires work, some cultivation. Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, not only should we pray for mercy, but we have to cultivate good qualities. So it requires work. It works both ways. God helps those who help themselves. So we ask Krishna for mercy, but we have to do something. Show him we're serious about the mercy. So we're going to give you some work. It's work that I promised we would do last week. And it's, it's work which helps us see how far we've forgiven. It's a criteria of different ways we can see how far along we are on the forgiveness continuum. And... This document is available. We put it up on our website. 
So if you go to www.tstrain.com, www.tstrain.com, and then if you go to articles, and then you will come to an article, I believe it says, Have You Totally Forgiven? Have You Totally Forgiven Worksheet? Something like that. Or how to know you've totally forgiven worksheet. Let's see, we're we're now we're looking on my website, we're gonna see. Go to the bottom there. Mudava, if you go to the bottom. How to know you have totally forgiven. Yeah. How to know you've totally forgiven worksheet. And you can download that, and if you download that you can work on it during this class and it's something you should keep with you because you could always refer to it because obviously in the future there will be other hurts and possible forms of resentment you're going to have to deal with. So do that and while you're doing that I'm going to read a few things to you that I feel are very inspiring. They inspired me. And Uddhava, as people come on, new people come on chat, you can let them know to go and download, and I will also mention it because not everyone goes into chat. So while you're doing that, you can listen to what I'm going to read. I'm going to read some inspirational and insightful things about forgiveness that I've picked up just for you for this show. So are you ready, Samsara78? Are you ready, R.O.T.? Are you ready, Bhakta Patrick? Are you ready, buddy? And are, is everyone else ready? If you want to get on chat, if you're not on chat, you can get on chat. That way you can ask questions and you can hear and you can read the comments of the other members on chat. Often during these talks, the other members are making comments, very profound remarks often, very insightful, and, and you'll have access to that. So, again, if you go, well, the... Have you totally forgiven? That's a document on my website, tstrain.com. So we're going to be using that. And before we we begin going over the document where we're going to make you work, oh no, you're going to actually have to do something. It doesn't all come easy. We're going to inspire you with a few insights into forgiveness. You have known, excuse me, you know you have forgiven someone when he or she has harmless passage through your mind. When he or she has harmless passage through your mind. What does that mean, harmless passage? passage. That means when you think of that person, you don't become upset. Do you know, have you ever thought of someone and it just was distasteful to think of them? Or perhaps every time you thought of them, you became upset or disturbed. Well, when you've actually forgiven a person who has hurt you or let you down in some way, after the forgiveness process, when you think of them, there's no ill feeling. So that's that's one way you know if you've forgiven, if you've actually fully forgiven somebody. Because then by talking about them, thinking about them, if their name comes up anywhere... They are holding harmless passage through your mind. And that not only a person can be an organization, 
It can be a group of people. When there, when that organization is mentioned or that group is mentioned, they hold harmless passage through your wonderful forgiving mind, which means your wonderful, wonderfully forgiving heart, which is full of love, full of forgiveness, full of compassion, that even a person who has hurt you or let you down in some way, when you think of them, you have no ill feelings towards them because you are so magnanimous and so pure and so wonderful. That's, of course, that's the position we want to come to. But when we come to that position of forgiveness, that's that's what happens. You say impossible. That's impossible. I can't. I'm just an ordinary person. It's impossible. I can't be that way. I've been hurt so much. Forgiveness is possible for you right now, right here, today. It is possible. There's no question of you can't. It is possible. You have the power to forgive. It's in your hand. You have control over who you forgive. You do. Never forget that. You do. Krishna has given us a choice. He always gives us a choice. It is said God's gift to us is choice. Serve Him or reject Him. Our gift to Him is to use that choice properly. Always. We always have the choice. Always have to remember that. Okay, let's read another quote. Robert Enright, a developmental psychologist at the University of Wisconsin, defines forgiveness as giving up the resentment to which you are entitled. Wow. Giving up the resentment to which you are entitled and offering to the person who hurt you friendlier attitudes to which they are not entitled. Isn't that wonderful? Why should I forgive them? They don't deserve it. You should forgive them because they don't deserve it, because you want to give mercy, because you are practicing spiritual life and the principle of spiritual life is to give mercy. That's why you don't do it. You don't do it because it's right. If you only do it because it's right, then you're going to find so many reasons it's not right. This person does not deserve to be forgiven. What they've done does not deserve to be forgiven. Okay, doesn't deserve to be forgiven. That's all the more reason for us to forgive them. Because we're practicing the principle of giving mercy to those who don't deserve it. So let me read that again. A developmental psychologist, his name is Robert Enright, at the University of Wisconsin, defines forgiveness as giving up the resentment to which you are entitled. Yes, we might say ordinarily you're entitled to that because the person hurt you. They deserve your resentment. You're entitled to it. Anybody would be upset if this happened. But you forgive the person who deserves not to be forgiven. And you offer them attitudes to which they are not entitled. You are entitled to the resentment, but you don't hold on to it. And they are entitled to your revenge, but you don't give it. You don't give it because you are practicing how to act as a devotee of the Lord, as a sadhu. And practicing means... You don't do what you might feel like doing. 
if you weren't practicing spiritual life. Oftentimes I joke with devotees when when I get an urge to do something, like maybe I get an urge to overeat or I get an urge to do something and I joke to them, I say, if I wasn't a devotee, I would do this right now because I have the urge. I feel like doing it. And it's true. So if I wasn't a devotee, I wouldn't care. I would just do it. I would gorge myself or I would go out and party or do this and that. So when I feel the urge to do something, I always joke and say, if I wasn't a devotee, I would do this. In the same way, I may feel like retaliating against someone who hurt me. And so we can say, I would do it if I wasn't a devotee, but I'm a devotee, so I'm not going to do it. It's a nice way to think, isn't it? Okay, this is how I feel. This is what I feel like doing, but I'm a devotee, so I'm not going to do it. Simple. I'm not supposed to do it. That's not what a devotee does. That's not what a person who's cultivating bhakti in their hearts does. That's not the way they act. Okay. I don't know who said this, but it's quite nice. If you are at war with others, you cannot be at peace with yourself. If you are at war with others, you cannot be at peace with yourself. We've been talking a lot about how forgiveness is really simultaneously self-forgiveness. Because by giving up the war with the other, you're giving up the toxicity of, of the hatred, of the revenge within your own heart. So then by giving up the war with them, actually you're giving that up within your own heart. Because it's really not about them, it's more about what's going on inside. So once you're at once you learn how to be at peace with the issues that you're dealing with, then you, you, you'll be at peace with this other person and ultimately you'll realize it's not about the other person. Do you know that Prabhupada said something quite amazing about this? He said, do not be angry with the agent of your karma. Wow! Heavy! Do not be angry with the agent of your karma. Isn't it interesting that we buy in totally to the concept of karma, yet when we're hurt, we're ready to blame the person who hurt us. Do not be angry with the agent of your karma. Ultimately, it's about us and how we act, we react to what's going on outside of us. It's not ultimately about that person. It's about how we deal with the situation. That person is just delivering our karma. Do not be angry with the agent who's delivering your karma, but learn how to deal with your karma. Everything is happening for a reason. We cannot control all the things that conspire to create this situation, but we can learn we can learn to accept that somehow or other this is all happening and I have to detach myself enough to be able to accept it. Somehow or other, I have to accept it. I can't change it. I can change what I have control of is how I react to it. I can't blame that agent. It has happened. It's just an agent. doesn't look like an agent. looks like that person's to blame. I'm the victim. I have to change it around and understand that whatever is coming to me I created somehow or other. I don't understand it. I created it in some way. It's coming to me. I need to learn how to accept. You know how when things conspire and so many things are happening 
and you, you don't like the way it's going and you can't control it, what can you do? All you can do is just say, this is what's going on. I can't change it. I can only deal with it internally. That's all I can do now. When we don't accept that, we become totally frustrated, completely frustrated, angry. That is not how a practicing spiritualist deals with the situation. A practicing spiritualist understands, I am not the controller. There's no way I'm the controller. I may want to see things a certain way. I have limited control, and the main control I have is over my attitudes, my mind, how I'm dealing with this. So sometimes we can't do anything but just accept it is what it is, and I have to accept that, and then go on from there. <clears throat> and as soon as you do that, what you will find is a lot of relief immediately comes. As soon as you accept something, you become much more peaceful. You go, okay, then, and you can better deal with it when you accept it. It's when you can't accept it, it's when it's so difficult to deal with. And, and try that. Whenever you're just overcome by situations you don't like, just stop and say, this is what is happening now. It is the way it is. I can't change it. It's happening for a reason. I may not know why. I may have created this due to my desire, my past activities, whatever. This is what's happening now. Let me just accept it. Go along with it, learn from it, deal with it, and move on from there. That's all we can do. That's all we're supposed to do. And use it somehow or other to help us advance in, in our spiritual life. Or use it to learn not what to trace back what did I do that helped that caused that helped me that caused me to end up in this situation. So I don't continually do the same thing and end up in situations which cause me suffering or pain or hurt me spiritually. Just trace it back. How did I end up like this? And if you don't like it, then you're going to have to change what you're doing so you don't keep ending up in the same situation. I don't know if you've had this experience or you've seen this with others, but, but people often keep ending up in the same situations because they keep thinking the same ways and doing the same things. And they keep getting frustrated and they don't realize it's because of the way they're thinking and acting that they bring about these things upon themselves. So why, if we change our, our actions, we can bring upon better things, more Krishna conscious things, more mercy upon us, more inspiration to advance in Krishna consciousness, more ability to tolerate situations. So if we can bring upon the bad, we can also bring upon the good. Okay. Here's another quote. I don't know who it is from, but it's wonderful. I believe that to withhold forgiveness is to choose to continue to remain the victim. We talked about being the victim. I believe that to withhold forgiveness is to choose. Here the word is, the key word here is choose. I believe that to withhold forgiveness is to choose to continue to remain the victim. Do not become angry with the carrier, the messenger of your karma. So, we're choosing to remain the victim. Victim means what? I did not deserve this. That cannot be true if we accept the principle of karma. It cannot be true that we don't deserve it. only thing we don't deserve is that we get so much mercy. Then you could say, I don't deserve that. That's true. You don't deserve the mercy. None of us deserve the mercy. But the suffering, that Krishna does not allocate haphazardly. That is there 
because we deserve it. Remember, you always have a choice. I believe that to withhold forgiveness is to choose to continue to remain the victim. Remember, you always have a choice. That would be a nice t-shirt, wouldn't it? Remember, you always have a choice. It's a nice thing to remember. No, 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 I don't have a choice, I'm a victim. No, you always have a choice. Sometimes the choice is limited, more limited than others. If you allow yourself to be covered by the mode of ignorance, your choices will be more limited. The deeper down you go in the modes of nature, the more you lose your, wills, your willpower and then your ability to choose. But Krishna never takes away your choice entirely. As Prabhupada said, that is the symptom of life. Desire, choice. Okay, here's another wonderful quote. One pardons to the degree that one loves. So again, as devotees, what is what is the ultimate what is one of the ultimate positions of a devotee? Compassion. Affection for people who are separated from Krishna. So if we want to show that spiritual compassion or spiritual affection we cannot show it without forgiveness. Forgiveness is a component, a necessary foundational component to affection and love. So here, one pardons to the degree that one loves. Nice. So obviously, if you're not showing any sympathy, any affection, any love to a person who's hurt you, you don't want to pardon them because as we said many times, for resentment is your weapon to do what? to punish your weapon to punish now I was thinking of an analogy this week very nice analogy imagine a knife which is has a handle in the middle and it's pointed on both ends so, so actually it's like two knives in one you can you can stab from either end right so so your resentment you're using your resentment as a weapon to punish your victim. This person who hurt you is now your victim. You want to punish them. So you're using your knife. And you see what I'm doing? And every, every time I want to stab the person, because the person is, let's say, right here, I have to bring my hand back, right? Because I can't, once I'm there stabbing them, I have to bring my hand back. So I go like that. Okay, you see that in the camera? Stab. I'm stabbing you out there. You are my victim. So I was thinking of the analogy that every time you try to stab the person who has hurt you, they're always an inch further away from you. So you miss them by an inch. And so what you do is you bring your arm back. And every time you bring your arm back, you stab yourself. So you're stabbing, missing, bringing it back, <clears throat> stabbing yourself, stabbing them, missing, bringing it back, stabbing yourself stabbing them missing. So you see what's happening. You keep getting hurt and you keep missing them. That's why it is said envy is to drink poison hoping the other person is, will die. Our resentment is like stabbing ourse <coughs> ourselves in the attempt to stab them. That is why when people give up resentment they feel this tremendous relief because they stop stabbing themselves. They put the knife down and they Ah, oh, feels so much better that I'm not stabbing myself all day, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Feels a lot better. Okay. 
Here's another wonderful quote from the world of wonderful quotes. When you hold resentment toward another, you are bound to that person or condition by an emotional link that is stronger than steel. Forgiveness is the only way to dissolve that link and get free. A lot of times we talk about forgiveness as a link or a bond to something that has happened in the past that is affecting us presently. So here are the same ideas and you imagine some kind of steel bond to this situation or person. I believe that to withhold forgiveness is to choose to continue to... Uh, no, uh, When you hold resentment toward another, you are bound to that person or condition by an emotional link that is stronger than steel. So now you're bound to this person that you hate so much. Why would you want to be bound to somebody? Can you imagine... Oh my God. You imagine you hated somebody and this, there was a person you couldn't stand and someone came up and tied you up to that person. It's like the last person in the world you want to be with. Or like, you're right on the verge of getting a divorce. You can't stand this person and someone ties you up and now you can't get away from that person. Would that be painful or would that be painful? Yes, you're right. That would be painful. So, why would you want to tie yourself to the person you hate? You wouldn't. But that's what resentment does. That's what, what, it, what it is. It's an emotional bond. Now we're connected. And we're being affected by this person. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, made a wonderful statement. He said, Nobody can hurt you. No one can hurt you unless you allow them. Isn't that wonderful? No one, not that it's wonderful that you're hurt, but the statement is wonderful. No one can hurt you unless you allow them. So that person who hurt you cannot allow you, uh, cannot hurt you unless you allow them. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can never hurt me unless I allow them. What does they say? Um, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. So you can say whatever you... You say that when you were young? Uddhava? They say that in Montreal? No, oh, he liked that one because he never heard it in Montreal. I'm rubber, you are glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and it sticks to you. So we want it to bounce off, right? Bounce off. Okay, we don't want it to, we don't want this emotional bond glued. We don't want to be glued to this person. Just let the person go. Set them free and you'll be free. We have better things to do than hate people, right? We're supposed to be helping people, not, we're supposed to be giving mercy to people. We're supposed to be bringing people back to the Father. We're the, the sons who are bringing people back to the Father. We're not supposed to be going out hating people what to speak of hating people who are practicing service to the Father. That's not our position. It doesn't look good on our resume. On our Krishna conscious resume, it doesn't look good that you hate God's servants, that you have issues, serious issues with God's servants. You want to get that off your resume? I was just reading something. This is so wonderful. Imagine that four times a year you had a meeting with God and you had to tell Him. Like, what's going on? What's happening in your life? What's the latest that's going on in your heart? Imagine. So how would you live your life 
if every quarter you had your quarterly meeting with God and you had to tell him what's going on? Would you want to come in and tell him all the people you hate? All the people you have issues with? All the people you've been criticizing the last three months? I don't think so. So, plan your next quarterly meeting with Krishna. Prepare now for your next quarterly meeting so you can reveal all the good things. You can rewrite your resume. Look what's on my resume. Forgiveness is on my resume. I forgave so many people. The Krishna will say, nice, way to go. Keep up the good work. That's what we want to do. Okay. Love is an act of endless forgiveness. Love is an act of endless forgiveness. That is the position of the devotees. Endless tolerance, endless mercy, and endless forgiveness. And because they actually have love for the conditioned souls. The pure devotees love the conditioned souls. Basudev Dat, he's asking Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, deliver all the conditioned souls. I will take the suffering, their karma, I will take it upon me. That is love to the highest degree. That is that is pure devotional service. Genuine love and affection for the conditioned souls. So forgiveness must be part of that because forgiveness is an act of endless love. Now listen to this next one. This is totally different than anything we've been discussing. Are you all listening? Dr. Greg is late. You are forgiven once, twice, but three times I may not. Okay. Prabhupada said that. He said, I will always... I will forgive you. Once, twice, three times I will forgive you, but Krishna may not. So, of course, Dr. Greg, you are forgiven for being late. But, Krishna may not. I don't know. Okay. So here's another one we have not read yet. I think this is wonderful. Forgiveness is the sweetest revenge. Sweetest revenge, what does that mean? The sweetest way for you in your heart the most satisfying way you could ever take revenge is to forgive. Have have you ever had this experience when you were young and some kid was like really mad at you and calling you names? And you knew if you didn't get upset, they would have there would be no satisfaction on their part because they're doing that to agitate you. Have you ever had that experience? Rudava, you ever had that experience? So, and then you know, you know, if you just aren't bothered, it's just going to dissolve the whole issue. And they're, they're just like, they're like, they can't get upset. They keep, they, well, maybe they'll get upset because you're not upset. So, that's the sweetest kind of revenge. When there's every reason to take revenge and you don't, I mean, what a sweet way to act. The sweet, what is the sweetness? The sweetness is what's going on in your heart. Every right to take revenge. Say, my sweetest form of revenge towards what you did is to forgive you. Think about that. How sweet that is. How sweet that makes you feel. How wonderful an act that is. How pleasing that is to Krishna. Foremost quality of the Brahman is his forgiveness. So how that is pleasing to Krishna. Krishna is pleased by those who forgive. Forgiveness is the sweetest act. Uh, forgiveness, excuse me, is the sweetest revenge the only people you should ever want to get even with are those who have helped you. What does that mean? The only people. Yeah, I'm going to get even with you for what you did to me. You know what he did to me? I'm going to get even. He stole my girlfriend. I'm going to get even with him. 
What are you going to do? Throw rocks on his window? That's a pretty Krishna conscious thing, right? What are you going to do? Steal his car? Put sugar in his gas tank? Because he stole, he ran away with your girlfriend? What are you going to do? Call the, call the um, utility company and tell them to turn off his utilities? Say, I am that person, turn off my utilities in the middle of the winter? That's a pretty Krishna conscious thing to do, right? What are you going to do? Don't ever try to get even with anyone unless it's the person who helped you. That's the person you want to get even with by doing more to help them than they've done to help you. Is that nice meditation? Don't ever try to get even with anyone unless it's someone who helped you. Okay. Well, did you like those quotes? I thought they were fantastic. Okay, now I'm going to look. Uh, we haven't even started the questions yet. And while I'm talking, you're all looking at the questions. Oh, I feel so offended. Okay. Uh, Bhakti Carroll says, Extension of control issue. Problems come, we suffer. When we think events, outcomes, relationships should be different than they are. When we think it should be my way instead of the actual outcome, yes, the whole universe at this moment is conspiring to make everything happen in a particular way, and we say, no, it's not supposed to happen this way. I don't like it. You can't. You have to accept it. But, as I said before, try to consider what did you have to do to create that, created that situation so you don't keep recreating it. You know, there was a devotee and she wrote me and she had a terrible relationship with her husband. And her husband was very weak and then she got in a relationship with another man and he was also weak and I and I said, you know, by your mentality or attitude, you, you're attracting men who are very weak who are going to disappoint you. So sometimes you find that often with women. They always, they, they, certain women attract certain kinds of men who end up being very weak or very dependent or abusive. And say, well, how did this happen to me? Well, often it's a certain attitude, a certain way of thinking, a certain something inside. Um, I know many, many women that attract the same kind of men over and over and over again. The certain women attract men that are already married. Figure that one out. The only, the only men they attract are married. How did that happen? You know, that's kind of unusual, but... So, so we have to think, you know, oh, this is terrible. I attracted a man who's married, now his wife found out and she wants to kill me. Well, you created that situation somehow or other. Anyway. Um... Okay. When we think someone should not have died or someone should not have done that... That's, you know, we can't control those things. Not entirely, anyway. Okay. Samsara 78 says, follower of Jesus said, how many times should I forgive my brother? Jesus said, forgive them. So what he, he said, should we give them, forgive them seven times? And he said, 70 times seven. Forgive them, right? So isn't it seven? You should forgive them 70 times seven. In other words, always forgive Okay, that is a big order. That is a tall order to follow. It's not as difficult as you think. We have to enter the process of releasing resentment with the faith that it's not as difficult as we may think. It can be done. It's been done by others. In a sense, 
Many people are addicted to revenge. They can't give it up. They can't give up the revenge. You know, a lot of times what happens is you feel you've been wronged, and if you forgive the person and you think, I'm admitting, or um, I, I can't hold on to being right, and I have, I have such a need to be right that I can't forgive. So when you start to isolate these things and see what they are and see how much pain you're being caused by just being attached to being right, you know what they say, you can either be attached to being right or you can be happy because you're not going to be both. And on that happy note, we're going to read something about that. Okay, are you ready for some more good quotes? Okay. Um, so back to Patrick, we're talking about the girlfriend that left. Well, they had a song when I was growing up. My boyfriend's back and he's gonna be in trouble. You know that song? Hey, la, li, la, my boyfriend's back. So, so it's like you grow up hearing all these stories and songs about revenge. So it's like, it's like, yeah, let's get back at them. You know, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah. Go to the movies and this guy was offended. Now he's out with his his gun out there ready to kill the person and kill everyone in their family and whatever, you know. So that's the, the, the glorious society that we live in that teaches us these values through media and music. You know, that's what we're battling with, aside from, you know, 10 zillion lifetimes of conditioning. We have to battle with the culture we're existing in. Okay. Giving my age away. I am eternal. I am ageless. I, I defy the laws of age as a spirit soul. I refuse to grow old. See, I'm trying to control material nature so I don't grow old. So, okay, here's a nice quote. Pay attention because you'll like this. Okay. Be willing to forgive. Your ego is fighting this battle. Whoa, heavy. Now we have to admit something. Okay, you know, we're talking about not forgiving and then we have all these justifications. Why? These rationalizations. Well, I can't forgive because of this and anyone in my situation would not be able to forgive. And I was hurt so much that everybody knows it's impossible to forgive someone who abuses you in this way. And particularly, it was my father and no one can live through the abuse uh, of a father for their daughter in the way I was treated and so many people who are abused this way have so many emotional problems, etc., 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 etc. Your ego is fighting this battle. So that's so we have to admit that that all these things are excuses. If you want to forgive, you have to give up the excuses. And I'm not saying you were not hurt, and I'm not saying these are not real situations, and I'm not saying you did not suffer. You did suffer. There's no question you suffered. There's no question you were hurt. There's no question you're disappointed. There's no question you're depressed. But your ego is fighting because it won't let you let it go because it wants to fight back because you've been hurt and you you just want to fight back. You want to get back. Even that person is dead. There are people who have issues with forgiveness with persons who are dead. It's like, how could that be? That person's dead. It, the wounds are so deep they can't give it up even after the person died. And that person may be their father 
or their mother or their brother. It's that heavy. The ego is fighting. It doesn't want to give up. It wants to punish because it's been hurt. So we have to confront it. It's reality. It's a fact. Ego is fighting. It's fighting hard. Hard is difficult to admit, but we have to be, oh, at least be, at least I ask you, be open to the possibility that this is true. For tonight, be open to the possibility that this may be what's happening. It is saying that you should stay offended and hurt and you should continue to fight. That's what the ego is saying. Don't give it up. Stay offended, stay hurt, and fight back. Get back at this person. Tell the world about this person. Drag this person down. Put it over the internet. Tell everybody about it. Tell everyone. Tell your friends. Let everybody know how you're hurt and stay down because of that hurt. And just be sad and depressed. That's a strange way to fight. It really, It's really a sick way to fight. You don't want to be sad. You don't want to be depressed. You don't want to be angry. You don't want to be any of these things. If you could, right now, if I could bring out the magic wand and knock that out of you, you'd say, sure, knock it out of me. You want to have it out. Ego is fighting. doesn't want you to let it go. Your ego is saying you should stay offended and hurt and you should continue to fight. However, your willingness to be happy is your key to your future happiness. In other words, you have to stop and say, I want to be happy. I don't want to be, I don't want this. This doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve you materially and it doesn't serve you spiritually. I want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I just want to be peaceful. So your willingness to be open to a life without all the things that are making you miserable has to be there. I'm willing to be happy. I really don't want this. You have to acknowledge that. Therefore, the first step to letting go is to choose to be happy instead of being right. Wow, heavy, heavy statement. Can you accept that? Choose to be happy instead of being right. So what he's saying here is we can become so attached to being right at, the ex- at our own expense, at the expense of us being happy. I am right, I was wronged. He did this, he did that, she did this, she did that. They deserve this, they deserve that. They're wrong, I'm right, etc., etc. And then, as I said, there's a saying, you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Because it said people who are attached to being right are never happy. They're always miserable. They always have to be right. And I don't know if you're like that, but if you are, it's 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 just it's it's not a good state to be in. You always have to be right, no matter what. Even if you're wrong, you have to be right. For some people, it doesn't even matter if what they're arguing is right. They just have to be right. So you know, we we all have that. I would say we all have that, some degree or another. So first step in letting go is to choose to be happy instead of being right, resentful, angry, or bitter. So now he's juxtaposing, juxtaposing happiness to resentment, anger, or bitterness. So, okay, now, choose to be happy instead of choosing to be angry. Wait a minute, I'm not choosing to be angry. I was hurt. I'm, I was let down. I was. That's why I'm angry. 
He's saying, no, you're choosing to be angry instead of choosing to be happy. Just focus on that for a minute. Does it, it doesn't seem like I'm choosing to be angry. But when you think about it further, when you think about it more deeply, whatever's going on, if you become angry, ultimately you have given into it. You have submitted to it. Just like if you smoke a cigarette or you take a drink of alcohol. You're submitting to it. You're making a choice. Now, alcohol, if you're an alcoholic, it overcomes you. You, you have no control, right? You have no control. Well, you do have some control. You have, you know, there are people who are alcoholics who have stopped, who have gone to Alcoholics Anonymous. And all that they came in, and Alcoholics Anonymous says the first principle is you have no power over your lust. You can't control this. But there's a power greater than you that can. So at least you came there. You had that choice. You made that choice to go there and say, I don't have the power. We have a choice. There's a choice. Go with the resentment or go with happiness. Go with the anger or go with happiness. Go with the bitterness. It's a liberating thought to acknowledge and accept you can choose one or the other because you can. And so the whole point of this course is we're asking you to choose one over the other. And if you choose forgiveness over resentment, anger, and bitterness, you're going to be one happy camper. I guarantee. Money-back guarantee from Mahatma Das, right here on Krishna.com. If you attempt to give up forgive, uh, your resentment and you're not happy, you can have your resentment back. I'll give it back to you. You can have 100% of it. You can put it right back in your heart. If you take it out and you're not happy, I'll give it back to you. Put it right back in there, stuff it down there, no problem. That's my guarantee, if you want to do that. Now, oftentimes what I tell people, is say, I can't forgive. I say, forgive for one hour. And after one hour, if you feel uncomfortable, then take that resentment and put it back in your heart. Do you think anyone in their right mind, if they actually totally forgave somebody, would want to pick up that garbage and put it in their heart? I don't think so. Because once you forgive, you feel liberated. Totally liberated, you feel like. You just you just feel like that was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. That was the most destructive thing to, that I've ever done. Holding on to that was so destructive. I don't know why I was so stupid to hold on to it. Because it's so liberating to be free from that. Okay, Bhakta Patrick has a confession here. I did the forgiveness thing. I filed out all the answers and added them up and I got 70 out of 180. If each has a total of 10, so... Oh, yeah, he's done. The, he's already done the exercise. Okay, we'll go back to that. Go back to that. Yeah. Okay. By accepting this, you open yourself up to healing your spirit and soul. Yes. So, this is a nice... This is a nice analogy. The analogy of a diseased soul. So, if, if, if we keep this analogy, that holding on to resentment means diseased soul. Our soul is in a diseased state. Of course, we normally don't think of the soul in a diseased state because we understand the soul is pure. But for the sake of analogy, I think it's a powerful analogy. The soul in a diseased state. If we hold on to resentment, then we're keeping the soul in a diseased state. At least we feel diseased, don't we? Okay, now, for those of you who have jumped ahead and those of you who haven't, it's time to take... Have you totally forgiven test? And 
I'm going to read. I'm going to read first the introduction to this, which explains how this works, and then I'll further clarify it. If you haven't printed this test out, if you came late, if you go to my website, www.tstomsamtrain, like a train, choo-choo train, dot com, tstrain dot com, you go to articles, and then you go to, what was the name of that? How you know you've totally forgiven. Go down to the bottom of articles. Click on articles, go down to the bottom, and then you can either look at that on the site, or you can print it out, and this is what we're going to be working on. That was a long introduction, wasn't it, to this? Okay. We may not work on this tonight, but I'd like you to take it home. And I'll just what I what I would like to do tonight is clarify what I mean by each of these. Say a little something about them. If you like, you can score yourself tonight. If you like, you can score yourself later. But as you work on your forgiveness, you can go back to this because. The goal, total forgiveness means you'll have a zero. You'll have a zero. You'll have zero. If you have, how many questions did you say there were? 14 questions? So, total unforgiveness would be 140, and total forgiveness would be zero. So, this is just to see your progress, how you're going. So, as you progress and you're giving up of your resentment, go back, and this is the check. Well, have, have I give up my resentment? So, hopefully, you'll start to get to the zero and one. Because zero or one or two is, you're pretty down there. Things can flare up, you deal with it, and then you go back to this. Okay. When removing cancer, 100% of the cancer must be, must be removed. When we speak of total forgiveness, we're talking about removing 100% of our resentment. Otherwise, it will come up again and infect us. That's the whole point. If there's any resentment left in our heart, it's going to come back. It's, it's, there's still something there. The infection is still there. So we have to remove it entirely. Total forgiveness. It's possible to practice total forgiveness. Maybe you say, I can't totally forgive. But it is possible to practice it. It is. I've seen many, many people do it. And, and you can do it also. Below is a test to determine whether or not you have totally forgiven. Think of the person, organization, company, etc. that you have the greatest resentment towards. On a scale of 0 to 10, with 10 being the highest, write down the degree to which you were guilty of the kind of unforgiveness listed below on the left margin. After each item of unforgiveness is listed, the antidote, the forgiving way to act, um, um, after each item of unforgiveness is listed, the antidote, the forgiving way to act, is listed. There's a misprint here. I, I list under it if... Uh, let me explain. The antidote is listed to give you an idea of how you would be acting if this type of unforgiveness were not present in your life. It were a zero. So, uh, for example, we look at number one. Let's go down to number one. You are still waiting for them to apologize before you can forgive. So, if you're totally forgiven, what would the, what would it look like if you're totally forgiven? It would look like this. You take responsibility for your own forgiveness. You do not wait for them. You choose to forgive now. So, if you're in that mood, yes, I choose to forgive now, I'm not waiting for them anymore, then you'd put a zero. If you're at, at the point where I don't know if I can fully forgive without them apologizing, then maybe you're at a five. I'd like to forgive, I don't know if I can. Or If you're getting closer to, I, I think I'll be able to, it's getting easier, maybe you're at a three or a two. So, the antidote is there to, to let you know, if you put zero, this is how you're acting or thinking, this is your attitude. 
And all of these are all of these are principles that I taught in my seminar, so they're all valuable principles to reflect on. Okay, if you can't think of anyone or any organization that you have any resentment towards or for, consider the possibility that you may have issues on some level with persons like Hitler, Bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, etc. Maybe you have some resentment issues with a fallen guru, a family member, your guru, or even Krishna himself. Uh-oh, that's a pretty touchy one. Resentment issues with God. Well, God, why did you do this? Why did you allow this to happen? What kind of God are you? Many people have issues with God. Sometimes we're afraid to admit, I have issue with my guru, I have issue with God. We have to admit, we have to confront. This is the healing process. Don't be afraid to visit these. Unless you acknowledge your resentment, you won't be able to let it go. If you still can't think of anyone, ask yourself if there is anyone or anything in your past that still represents an obstacle for you today. Now you say, no, I've forgiven them. But look to your past and say, is there anything in my past that in any way is an obstacle for me presently? So, that's a, so you might find something back there you can dig up and say, well, this this one thing still does affect me to some degree. So maybe you need to forgive them. And, and, and I'll tell you a really interesting story. This is amazing. And how how sometimes it's not obvious where you need to forgive. I did a forgiveness seminar. After the seminar, this one devotee came to me and she said, I have an issue with the person who's in charge of the ashram. And even after doing this seminar, I wasn't able to forgive her. So I was talking to her, teaching her all these principles. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. So, so I, I couldn't understand what it is. But I had, I had learned the process of empathic listening as a counseling skill. So I met her on another occasion and I said, just talk to me, just tell me, you know, what's going on or whatever. And then the subject came up of her father and how her father was always away from the family making money and he used that money kind of as his bomb to keep everybody satisfied. But she said she grew up seeing her mother suffer because of how her father dealt with her, her father always being away. I said, wait a minute. There's something about this. There's something about this. I said, say more about this. Tell me more about this. So, by letting her speak, what we realized was that she felt like her mother and that devotee was in charge of the ashram was like she saw that person like her father. I said, oh, that's really interesting. So I said, therefore, the solution is to forgive your father. And once you forgive your father, naturally, you won't have the issue with that devotee. Is that amazing? That is so convoluted. So sometimes you have to look to these past things, which are like, they're hanging out there, how one thing's affecting another. Would you ever thought that your resentment towards this devotee really was your unforgiveness and resentment towards your father? Well, could be. I'm not a psychotherapist, but somehow or other, by Krishna's grace, I knew enough to put that together. And that solved the problem. She had to forgive her father for, for the suffering of her mother, and that automatically resolved the issue with this other devotee. Strange, strange world. Strange the way things happen.
Um, consider also, you may only have an issue with one thing somebody did or said. You know, you, you might say, I have no issues, but this one thing this person did. So then you can use that as your issue for this exercise. If you still find you have no resentment, then read the list below to confirm this by understanding what total forgiveness means. So then you can use this as a checklist. And many people who think they have no issues when they go down this list, they, they realize they still do. <laughs> That's the whole point. As you read the list, if someone or some organization comes to mind, begin writing down the intensity of the unforgiveness you have towards them. This is if you start this exercise with no one in mind, only. But as, do, as you do the exercise, somebody else may come up, you can write that and do the exercise again for them. So now I want to explain these, clarify these, and then we'll end the class, and then you can, you can either be doing it while, while I'm doing this, or you can take it home. Okay, so... Number one, you are still waiting for them to apologize before you can forgive them. The antidote, you take responsibility for your own forgiveness. You do not wait for them. You choose to forgive now. Your forgiveness is not being controlled. It's not in the hands of anybody else. If you are waiting for them to apologize, your forgiveness is in their hands. They hold the power over your forgiveness. And that's the condition of many people. That's why they can't forgive. It's a very foolish thing to give your choice and ability to forgive to somebody else because they may never apologize. They may never even know that they hurt you. So why would they apologize? And then you spend your whole life with resentment towards them? Not a good idea. So if you're not waiting, if you can forgive them without wait, if you're not waiting for them to apologize, you're at a zero. If you cannot forgive them until they apologize, you're at a ten. And you're in trouble. Uh, next one. You're waiting for them to get justice before you forgive them. Once they go to the gas chamber, okay, I'll forgive them. Once they go to court and get sentenced to life imprisonment, once they're kicked out of the Hare Krishna movement, once they're exposed on the internet, whatever it is, then I'll forgive them. Okay, what's the antidote? You forgive them because you understand you can choose to forgive. Again, your forgiveness is a choice which is not dependent on anything that happens to them. Your forgiveness, it's about you, and it's about your choice. It's not about them getting justice or not. They may get justice, maybe they should get justice, but your forgiveness should not be dependent on whether or not they get justice. You may forgive them, and you may, you may take them to court, because they deserve to be in, in jail for what they did. But you can still forgive them while doing that. And you don't have to wait till they're sentenced. Next one. You hope that something will happen so they become aware of how they hurt you. Antidote. You allow Krishna to deal with them from within their hearts the way he chooses. In other words, you don't play God. So now you're waiting. You're sitting there waiting for them to understand how much you suffered. You're, and it's the same thing as as waiting for them to apologize. You're waiting and waiting for them to realize it. When they finally realize it and come to you and say, say, I finally now realize how much you suffered, then you can forgive them. You'll be hoping and hoping they get that realization. That is up to them and Krishna whether that realization comes in this life or not. They may never understand. But your forgiveness is not dependent on whether they understand. Don't give your ability to choose forgiveness. Don't put it in the hands of anybody else. Put it in your own hands. 
your life is still being controlled or affected in some way by how you were ill-treated. In other words, the incident happened. Today you are still suffering because of that. They cannot, they're not living in your mind rent-free, as we read that quote. You're paying rent when they're in their mind. It's disturbing. Think Their existence on this planet is, is a disturbance to you. And it's affecting your sanity. It's affecting your ability to grow. It's affecting your ability to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. That's a bad place to be in. So what's the antidote? You do not allow hurt from the past to affect your present activities or future plans. You understand that where you are today may be because of how you were hurt in the past, but where you are in the future is not dependent on what happened in the past. You allow the past to affect you today, but you don't have to allow that from today on. You can go forward. It doesn't matter your situation today. That, that does, it doesn't matter where you are today. You, 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 what, is effect, what affects your future? See, the way, the way people get messed up, they think, well, my future is affected by my past. Your future is affected by the choices you make right now. That's really what affects your future. But if you allow the past to affect your choices that you make today, then the past is affecting your future. But, but really, the choices you make today, right now, are affecting you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So, you can choose to not be affected by what happened in the past and choose to make the choices that will help you live the way you want to live rather than the way the past apparently is forcing you to live. So, so you see how, you start to see how unforgiveness and resentment is so binding as it's really holding you down and so disturbing and and, you, and, and and if you see that, then you'll start to see how much better off you'll be by giving up the resentment. Just like tremendously better off. Okay, let's go to the next one. You punish them with your tongue. Oh, no, the one before. You're waiting for them to rectify themselves before you will forgive them. Antidote. You forgive them because you understand you can choose to forgive the same thing. Wait for them to rectify. It may never happen. Okay. You punish them with your tongue by telling others what they have done. This is a really big one. This is, this is really one of the main ways we punish them. The antidote. You no longer let anyone know what was said about you or done to you. If you tell someone, you tell one person with the hope of removing the resentment, not to punish your offender. In other words, if you're going to tell someone, do it therapeutically. Tell it to help overcome the issue. Don't tell it to punish the person. Tell it to overcome the pain. Deal with it. Get it out. And then once it's out, don't tell anybody else. If you have to tell it again, it's only for the purpose of letting it go. It's only for the purpose of therapy. You get angry or upset every time you think about or see your offender and what they did. Antidote. Appreciate what is good about them and understand what they may have been going through when they offended you. That's the sympathy-empathy aspect of the process of forgiveness. You see that person and think, they must have been undergoing tremendous difficulties in their life. They must have been suffering tremendously for them to do such a horrible thing as they did to me. And you, you feel compassion. That's the, the proper mood. Next, 
It upsets you if good things happen to your offender, if they prosper, if they are happy, if people like them. That is a real big one. Envy. Did I tell you last week what difference between jealousy and envy is? Jealousy is when you want what another person has. Envy is when you don't want them to have what they have. So now you're seeing this other person and they're, everything's like hunky-dory for them. And uh, like, my God, this person is such a rascal. Look what they did to me and, and they, everybody thinks they're great and they have a great life. I can't stand it. Antidote. You never wish anything bad to happen to them. You're happy to see them happy. In other words, whatever you want in your life, whatever blessings you want in your life, you wish it upon them. Wow, what a, what a exalted position to come to. What a challenge for us to become the well-wishers of the people who have hurt us. But if we can do that, if we can do that, just think how Krishna conscious will be. Just how think how think how Krishna conscious that would make us if we could do that. Not easy. <laughs> just no one saying it's easy. But if we could do it, the challenge is there to do it because that's what a devotee should do. That's what a devotee is. A devotee is a blessing machine. He simply blesses. We told the story last week. The sadhu is picking up the scorpion. The scorpion is biting. He drops the scorpion back in the water. Again, picks up the scorpion to save it. Again, the scorpion bites. Drops it in the water. His hand is in pain. Again, picks it up to save it. And the other sadhu is with him and said, Why are you doing that? He said, Because the scorpion won't give up its behavior, its nature. He keeps biting. Why should I give up my nature to keep showing mercy? So, just because someone has hurt us, we should not give up our nature, the Vaishnava nature of compassion. We should not allow the other person to hurt us. No one can hurt you unless you allow them. Okay, you find it difficult to see any good in your offender. Antidote, you appreciate their good qualities and activities. Everybody has some good qualities. You hope that something equally bad will happen to the person who hurt you. Ooh, devotees don't think that way. You pray for the person and bless them in the same way you would like to be blessed. We don't wish ill on anyone. We wish bless, wish to bless everyone. You see how the act of forgiveness will extract from your heart the qualities of devotee? And do you see the fortune in being hurt? If you can actually learn to develop these, to transcend the hurt and develop these qualities, you see how fortunate you are to be hurt because you can come to this platform of forgiveness? Amazing. The amazing benefits there are in doing this. You forgive them because you understand, okay, you feel, you feel it's, you feel it's that, uh, a typo here, you feel that what was done was bad, it's so, that it was, so, it's a typo, but it, it's, it, you feel it was so bad you simply can't forgive. You forgive them because you understand you can choose to forgive. So this topic of choosing to forgive com, comes up. You keep the record of their wrongs with you. Your story is securely lodged in your heart. You're always remembering what they did. That story is there in your heart. See, the real thing of forgiveness is when the story leaves, you tear it up, it's over, it's history, it's gone. That's when you know you're forgiven. In our seminar, have everybody write the story. And throughout the seminar, we encourage people, at any point when you're ready, tear up that story. And We have a fire sacrifice, a make-believe fire sacrifice, and we throw the story in the fire. 
when you're ready to throw that story out of your life because it's full of so much pain and it's pulling you down so much. So that's the liberation when you throw that story away. It's, it's gone. Okay, what's the antidote? You tear up the record of their wrongs and your rights. Let it go and stop talking about it. You may choose not to forget that a particular person has hurt you, but you no longer keep the record. Okay, that person hurt me. I don't want to get near them. But you've dropped the record, the details. You stop going over it. You stop going over it in your mind again and again, and talk about it with others. This exercise here is to give you guidelines of of, of where you're progressing in the path of forgiveness. And 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 let's say you get to zero with one person, but you have an issue with someone else, then you got to go back to this and start working with the next person. You allow the person who hurt you to be afraid or intimidated by you. You get some pleasure from this. When they are afraid of you, it gives you some satisfaction or happiness because they are getting some punishment for what you did, what they did to you. Your actions. Excuse me, antidote. By your actions, the offender is assured they have nothing to fear. So the person who hurt you should never have anything to fear from you. You want them to feel guilty. You only forgive them if and when they feel bad about themselves because of what they've done. You accept that Krishna allowed this to happen for a reason. You don't forgive yourself. We treat others how we treat ourselves. So, you're, okay, here's the issue, and now you're not forgiving yourself in relation to this issue. You are always conscious how Krishna forgives you. Radharani is the embodiment of compassion. And how she forgives you. Lord Chaitanya forgives you and Prabhupada forgives you. You understand that by not forgiving yourself you are not allowing the you you are you are allowing the past to control your life. So you you were hurt, that's okay. You you have to move on. Just, everything is about moving on. You can forgive yourself for mistakes you've made. Perhaps you put yourself in this situation and allowed yourself to get to get hurt. You can forgive yourself for doing stupid things and you can move on and do better next time. You forgive, but don't forgive totally, and thus give into resentment again. Partial, partially you forgive. Antidote: You forgive from the heart and forgive totally. You don't forgive them only once, but you continually forgive. You see forgiveness as a lifelong commitment. So once you've forgiven someone, you always have to keep this process of forgiveness going. It's like that person's name will come up, and you always have to remember, I've forgiven them. I'm going to continue the process of forgiving. It's really important. Continually forgive by practicing these principles towards that person. You don't let them save face. You won't let them save face. You're a bad person if you won't let them save face. I mean, you, you see how resentment makes us, it's just, it's just a, a breeding ground for so many demonia qual, demonia qualities, demonic qualities. Antidote. You recognize that you are capable of making great mistakes and how important it is for you to save face. You treat them as you wanted, you want, as you would want to be treated. So you let them save. Okay, they did something wrong, but you let them save face. You let them apologize, rectify. You follow one or more of the antidotes, but feel a need to go to the person, let them know what you did. In other words, you you feel this, and you have to go to them, tell them, I've let you off the hook. Sometimes it's the worst thing to do. You forgive them because it is, this is the antidote, you forgive them because it's the right thing to do, because you value your relationship 
with Krishna. You only tell your enemy if you are so convinced it will be beneficial. Most people who offend you have no idea that they have done anything wrong. So if you think it's beneficial, do it. If you don't think it's beneficial, don't do it. Hare Krishna. So, Dr. Greg has made his comment very heavy. Well, Carol is saying revenge issues. Well, that's what this is all about. It's all of, Not forgiving is all about revenge, getting back. Um, we have to be heavy because resentment is very heavy. It's, it's, it's anger. It's ignorance. It's tamagoon. And so we have to give it a heavy antidote. So I, I, I want you to do this exercise. It will help you so much. And do it again and again and again and again. Okay, does anyone have any questions before we let you go out into this world where you'll be mistreated again and again, but you will graciously forgive all those who will mistreat you? Uh, okay, I, I want to say something that is very, is very powerful and is very important for you to know. This is my experience personally. If you learn this process of forgiveness, and if you do it totally so that everything on this sheet here is zero, it's only zeros. If you do that, what that will do for you in the future, the rest of your life, is that will, it will make you resilient to being offended, to being hurt, to being let down. You'll be able to cope with it so much better that it's unlikely you will ever again in your life have issues with serious issues or issues that last more than a few minutes, a few moments. And it's highly unlikely you'll ever have any serious issues. You will not want to go there. Once you do this forgiveness process, number one, you will not want to go there. And number two, you will, you will have this, this energy of forgiveness kind of flowing through you so that whatever comes to you that's negative, it kind of just bounces off you. It's like it's not a problem for you. You don't want to go there. You don't want it to stick to you. You've been there, done that. You're over it. It's not worth it. It's not what your life is about. Your life is about being positive. Your life is about helping others. Your life is about giving. Your life is about service. It's not about holding on to people you don't like and thinking ill of them. That's not what you're about. You won't want to go there. But you have to get this list to zero before you can develop to this resilience in the future. If you develop it, it's the greatest gift you'll have because then you can go through life as a real sadhu, as someone who can walk through difficulties and hurts and upsets and letdowns and not hold on to the pain, not hold on to the need to be right, not hold on to the bitterness, but do the right thing. So, that's a little carrot for you, from my own experience in my life and the life of others that I've worked with, that if you do it, the payoff is tremendous. It's huge. Okay, we've gone over time. Thank you for listening. I promise, I promised you last week that I would make this class better than last week. So, uh, I don't know if it was, but I did my best. Uh, to break through to a deeper level and I will make that promise next week we'll go let's go one level deeper we're going to dig up things it may be about your resentment that you didn't 
realize we're there. We're going to face the issues. We're going to look at these ugly guys living in our heart. It is the only way we can deal with it. And our goal, bring the list to zero. When we bring the list to zero, when everybody brings it to zero, we'll go on to a new topic. We'll we'll have reached the culmination of the aim, the goal of this course that we've forgiven totally. Thank you very much. We'll see you all next week. Hare Krishna.